Good afternoon, I'm Ed Pozzuoli, CEO of Trip Scott, and with us today we are pleased to have our friend Steve Forbes. Welcome. Good to be with you. Thank you, Ed. I've got to say congratulations on the new book. Uh, very timely. Um, Thank you. Inflation is a big worry, and inflation, as you know, is a hidden tax. How do you see this? 8.3% this last month, 8.5% the month before, 40 year, you know, the highest in 40 years. Uh, what's the circumstances with our economy? We got to get control of this? Well, when you uh, say 8.3 or 8.5, it sounds like it's very precise and scientific. It isn't. Uh, when people go shopping, when people go to the uh, gas pump, they see it is high. Right. And uh, whatever percentage you want to give to it, it's taking a real bite out of them. We point out in the book there are two kinds of inflation, non-monetary and monetary. Non-monetary comes when you have shutdowns and things like that, artificially restricting supply, uh, creating shortages, prices go up. And this administration, normally those things work themselves out if you let them. This administration has been getting in the way of that, uh, harming the recovery from these uh, non-monetary inflationary factors. You see it at the gas pump. Right. Why are they waging war against oil and gas at a time when we have a global shortage of energy? It is, uh, uh, I know there's a family channel, so I'm going to contain myself <laughs> somewhat. But, but, and then you have the monetary kind right. where you, uh, in effect, reduce the value of your currency by creating too much of it. Right. And the Federal Reserve was doing that even before COVID came along. Right. So that's what we're paying the price for now. And the question is, what do we do in the future? And unfortunately, until we have elections that is going to force a change in this administration, they're not going to deal with the supply problems effectively. And the Federal Reserve is now has this idea that the way you cure inflation is by depressing the economy. Uh, the people, right. people are Bring buying Bringing put us into recession, right. Yes. And uh, experience shows, as we point out in the book, you stabilize your currency, you have a stable value of the dollar, inflation will take care of itself, it'll go away. But depressing the economy, yeah, that brings down prices when you have a, a, a going out of business sale. Yes, that does bring prices down, right. but it doesn't create prosperity. So how do we create prosperity? Because is this just a repeat of the late 1970s under Jimmy Carter? Well, in the 1970s, you had more of the monetary kind of inflation, right. less of the supply side. Uh, but when people go shopping or go to the pump or businesses try to get something, uh, the effect is just the same. So uh, the, the administration's got to get its act together or get a positive act together and stop this idea that uh, we're going to fly airplanes with windmills and uh, things like that. And one of the things that what makes us so bad is that every major advance in standard of living and civilization requires more energy, whether it was industrialization, the railroads, cars, the internet, huge consumer of energy. Sure. So if you have policies that are going to make one energy artificially more expensive and less plentiful, you have a bleak future. We're going to stagnate. We're going to go backwards instead of forwards. But a Democratic congressman, congresswoman yesterday said something about, well, I, I, pass, I pass gas tanks because I can drive an electric car. Why isn't that a solution here? Well, begs the question. Where does the electricity come from? Okay. It doesn't come from Ben Franklin's kite <laughs> right. during a storm. And uh, it, it comes, and it turns out, embarrassingly for her, is that uh, the EV uh, recharging stations got their uh, electricity from a plant that is 95% coal. So coal-fired <laughs> cars. Is that what she's advocating? Well, she just missing. She doesn't want to really know what the origin of the energy is. She's just thinking about the middle step of it being quote unquote clean, right? The, and and uh, put put aside the price. 
and uh, people don't like to have to go. Imagine going to the gas pump and waiting 40 minutes to fill up. Uh, no, you want to do it in a few minutes and be on your way. So, Steve, when we talk about inflation, who does it hurt the most? It hurts most those with the least because they have to buy food, they have to buy fuel. Uh, in wintertime in the north, you're going to have heating. It's going to be twice as expensive as it was last winter. So what are you going to do? Just shiver through the winter? Right. And, and so it, it, it hurts, but it hurts everyone. And it also hurts everyone in the way of corrupting what you might call social trust. I don't have to know you, but we, through money, sound, stable, trustworthy money, we can do deals together, we can do transactions together. It creates a community of uh, activity, right. commercial activity. When you undermine inflation, what do you do? You don't understand why it's happening, so you lose trust. You don't make investments in the future because you don't know what it is. And so uh, we end up with a lower standard of living, but also corrosiveness in the sense that we don't interact with people the way we did before. Well, when your dollar doesn't buy the same thing it, buy, it bought yesterday. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, imagine the Federal Reserve was in t charge of the Time Bureau. And, and, and they decided, hey, we can increase productivity by adding 30 seconds to an hour each day, and that way people will work longer and we have the same pay, and by golly, productivity. Well, people would start to sense something is not right. right. When the money starts to be fooled around with, with by politicians, people sense something is not right. They can put their finger on it, but they know something is wrong, and that has bad consequences. Well. We want to welcome you to Florida because we're a free-loving, you know, freedom-loving state. Well, I, I love the free state of Florida. Free yes. state of Florida. The, and, and we've written a little bit about some of the COVID responses, and I know you have too. You have some strong opinions about that. Talk a little bit about how you see the economy. As an example, China is now under another lockdown. Um, how do you think that affects our ability to, you know, Well, get this, this, this gets to uh, one why you don't want dictatorships, authoritarian governments. This government of China had to put in a zero, zero tolerance for COVID-19. Sounds great, but it doesn't work in the real world. As we know, lockdowns don't get rid of the disease. Right. It just slows maybe the spread of the disease. So China's wrecking its economy, going into commercial centers, locking people up, starving people for this crazy policy. That just doesn't affect the Chinese. It affects global supply chains all did, around the world. Did you say China or California? I, I, I didn't miss that one, did I, right? Well, it was in California. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Although in California, they can make changes, as we saw in San Francisco. Right, they did. Uh, and, People and, spoke, and, right? In, 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 in a free society. Right. So, so the, 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 those things have uh, consequences. And uh, so that hurts the supply side. And on, on COVID, one of the things I think that also is corrosive is when they lock people up unnecessarily for months on end. Uh, that had uh, mental health problems, uh, drug problems, hurt kids. Kids didn't learn in school. And who does that hurt the most? Kids who need the education the right. most. They didn't get it. Right, and they fell behind. And in, in fact, there was a McKinsey uh, and Company study that talked about kids losing that much time in the achievement gap, just becoming greater and greater, and then impacting their lifetime ability to earn a living. And this is where corruption came in. I don't mean money, passing money, although there's a lot of that. But in terms of uh, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, they came out with guidelines on schools dictated by the teachers' unions, by the teachers' union leadership, not based on science. At a time when Europe was open, Japan was open, they shut the schools down because the unions told them to. You mean we put adult interest ahead of the child? 
Hmm. Hmm. Right. Shocking. I know it's got to close your ears. <laughs> so we do have a, a, a governor who's running for re-election come November. Uh, I think um, my hope is that he'll be rewarded. Uh, what are your thoughts in, on how our governor's doing here in Florida? Well, whatever you think of the governor, he has demonstrated he takes can take the heat. Harry Truman said, if you can't take the heat, don't get in the kitchen. This guy's ready for the kitchen. He can take the heat. He studies things. He masters the brief, as they say, in your business. Yeah. And uh, so when he uh, says something or does something, it's based on knowledge. I was talking the other, last, uh, the other night to a former congressman. Uh, they were in the House together, DeSantis and this other fellow. And uh, the other fellow would sometimes go to DeSantis and uh, say, how, how do you think I should vote on this? He said DeSantis would give him an answer and the reasons for it. The guy had done the study. He's one of those rare people in Washington who actually knows what's in a bill. Imagine that. Shocking. All right, <laughs> shocking. Yeah, we know that about our governor. And, and, you know, he's, I would say this, that particularly smaller business, those who, you know, live day to day and, and keep their businesses open by their own, their own brow, uh, the sweat of their brow, I mean, they were very thankful to the governor to keep those businesses open and alive. You know, well, what and, a, and, and you contrast that to New York, where until recently we had a mayor, his nickname was Bolshevik Bill, Bill de Blasio, who for some reason had it in for restaurants. Key industry in New York City, employed 300,000 people, world-class restaurants. People, tourists came in part to experience these extraordinary restaurants. Right. And he waged war on them, always trying to find ways to keep them shut down. Why? So thousands went under unnecessarily. Was it about, I mean, you, you have a lot of experience in New York. I mean, was it about just the exercise of power or was it a, a true intention? I think he just is one of these guys who's never done real work in his life and had, has a chip on his shoulder. He's got big shoulders and a lot of chips on there. And he just had it in for restaurants. He thinks only rich people go to restaurants for getting, you know, hamburger stands and yeah. things like that, right. little things like that. And so uh, he made life uh, miserable for them, absolutely unnecessarily. Steve, I saw a, a podcast of yours that you mentioned somebody, basically a country outside of, uh, you know, outside of America, looking at internationally, who did things and responded to COVID a lot differently. We're talking about Sweden. And describe what the, what the results of that experiment was. Well, the Swedes from the beginning decided they weren't going to go for massive lockdowns. They recognized everyone one way or the other. Most people are going to get this, hopefully mildly, but you don't uh, get rid of these viruses. And so uh, they decided, keep it open. Uh, they liked to joke. They didn't have to worry about social distancing, so they don't much like each other. They always kept a distance from each other. So, uh, so and uh, other than the mistake at the beginning, which New York and others did in terms of uh, putting people in nursing homes that shouldn't have been, they did it right. The schools were kept open. Businesses are kept open, restaurants are kept open, the economy is kept open, and uh, now it's come out that when you look at what they call excess mortality, that is the death rates above what you would normally expect uh, so in the post-COVID environment, uh, they found out that Sweden's record was one of the best in Europe. Out of 30 major nations, uh, they only four or five nations had a better more excess mortality rate than Sweden, and, they, and, th and, those, and Sweden did not go through wrecking people's lives, hurting people's schooling, having drug problems because you're locked up. You know, we have hundreds of thousands of kids who haven't returned to school. We have 
hundreds of thousands of people who've dropped out of the labor force. Right. When, when are they coming back? It, it, it was the, the, the price we paid for trying to stop the unstoppable. Uh, and I'm, by that, I mean, you know, we all know people my age were vulnerable. So we take precautions. Right. Hello. But 18 to 49, vaccines not needed in the real world. So, 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 uh, so the bottom line is the Swedes got it right. And we, we undermine trust in authority because the authority abused the trust. Right. Let me go back to the book because inflation, what, you know, what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. So let me end with how to fix it. What, what would you do now if you were sitting in the Oval Office? Stop waging war against commerce. Stop making it difficult for people to do business with each other. We, we, we talk about infrastructure. Everyone loves infrastructure. This administration's just put in rules that's going to make it even more difficult to get a project approved. Right. Hello? What's the purpose of that? Stop waging war on oil and gas. We have a real energy shortage. We've got a real problem for the next year and a half until we can ramp up production again. On the monetary side, stabilize the value of the dollar. Now, I like the gold standard, but others don't. But in the late 80s and 90s, for part of the 90s, Alan Greenspan, who's then the head of the Federal Reserve, informally tied the dollar to gold and to commodity prices. Right. Sloppy, but it worked. The great call of the great moderation. So you don't have to. Sh you don't have to. You know, we had a lockdown. Now the Fed wants its version of a lockdown by depressing the economy because they think that's the way to cure inflation. Uh, that's the way to cure a, a good, make a good, decent economy or struggling economy into a bad economy. And you would agree that inflation, in whatever whatever the cause, is basically a hidden tax, particularly harder it, hit it, it's, on it's, the lower it's, income it's side. It's a hidden tax. When they create money out of thin air, <clears throat> where does that come from? In higher prices, less productivity, less real wage gains, gains. You feel you're falling behind instead of getting ahead. That's the price you pay, and uh, it's one we've been doing. <clears throat> humanity's been doing for three thousand years. You think after three thousand years they would learn. So we need remedial education. So they should put these people in a room and say, learn about inflation, buy this book and read it. There you go. And I'll give them a quiz. And so buy this book and Steve Forbes, thank you and, and welcome thank to you. Florida. Good to be here. Thank you.